Good morning. We are so glad you are all here today. We want to welcome our visitors today, too. Next Sunday night is our Pinewood Derby race for the G RAs and GAs. Please come to watch and buy treats from our bake sale. Thank you, Destiny. And one more announcement. The February 26th is our youth luncheon. So please come out and support our RAs and GAs at their race and then our youth at the luncheon on the 26th. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We are so thankful to be in this house with you, to worship you with all of this family. We're so thankful for all the little ones and everyone that will be in this service worshiping you in a unique and exciting way today. We give you honor and praise, and we just pray that this morning is all about you, God. That, that as they sing, that we worship through their bells and singing and and through all the music and the, the speaking, and we're just thankful to be here and be able to worship you openly. And, and I just pray as we go throughout this week that we think of love and think of your love. As we go through this week coming up with Valentine's Day, that we think of the word love and we just immediately want to show people the love from you, God. That as we go throughout that day and all the days, that we find a new way to show people love and, and give you credit. And I just pray that we bring you joy as you always bring us joy and forgiveness and mercy and all the things that we have that are from you, God. And we love you, and it's in your name we pray. And, and as we go throughout this service today, I just want to, as I think about Valentine's Day, I love Valentine's Day. And I think about how I grew up with my dad, and he always did a candlelight breakfast and spoiled all of his daughters a lot. And, but when I think about Valentine's Day now, I think about God on every level. So my challenge, I sometimes like to do little challenges. My challenge to you is that on Valentine's Day that you go big for someone else that's a stranger or someone at the store or at a restaurant that you pay for something or help them or go out of your way to do something and that you say that that's from God because God loves them and not from us, but from him. So this Valentine's Day, you may change someone's life by your act of service or gratitude or gifts and that you give that praise and glory to God and not ourselves. Good morning. I am so privileged to introduce to y'all the speaker this morning. Last month, we were invited to a new church plant celebration. It's over on Charles Road. And at that time, Pamela, our speaker this morning, gave that message. And during that message, you just knew that God was speaking through his servant. And so basically, after that service, I went straight to Pamela and got her contact information because I just felt like that God needed her or wanted her here today. Um, that's basically all I knew about her other than the fact that her whole adult life, she has been a missionary for the North American Mission Board, the North and South Carolina Southern Baptist Association. And if you ask her for a bio to introduce her, that's very limited with her because she is such a humble servant. But I kind of cheated and called Michael Moore this week and said, can I have some more information about Pamela? I've got to introduce her. And he probably gave her one of the biggest compliments that I cannot think of 
many people that I would know that I could even say that about, that he said, Sandy, have you ever envisioned Jesus walking on earth in 2023? And he said, because if I can envision that, I would say that it would be Pamela, that I have seen her with the highs, the lows, the valleys, on top of the mountain, it did not matter. She is a pure missionary, a servant of God, that she works to build God's kingdom, and it has been such a privilege for him to know her. So without that further ado, we're going to turn this over to Pamela. At the end of the service, uh, Craig Spencer, our chairman of the deacons, is going to come forward. Pamela can just close out however she sees fit. She and Craig will be up here to pray with anybody that wants to pray. And then after the benediction, Craig is going to go to the back with Pamela uh, just so that y'all can speak to her at the end of the service. But at this time, I'm just going to turn it over to Pamela. Sorry, guys, I had knee replacement and steps still get to me. It hadn't been that many months. <laughs> um, wow, I'm going to have to make Michael go with me wherever I have to go from here on out. Um, that's hard words to live up to. Uh, first off, I want to thank you guys. Uh, whether you know it or not, uh, for 42 years, you guys have been paying my salary. And I thank you very much. Every time you give to the cooperative program and any time you give to Annie Armstrong Easter offering, a part of that goes to support the North American missionaries. And so I drew on that for 42 years. So thank you very much. My folks appreciate the fact that I was able to retire at a, a year ago. So thank you very much for paying my salary. And I'll tell you something else. Um, as, as she shared, I've been on the mission field my whole life. Um, my first place of assignment was South Carolina when I went back there after seminary. And I'll share a little bit more about that with you. But um, everywhere I've ever been on the mission field, I've never felt like I was by myself because if one thing Southern Baptists do well is we pray for our missionaries. And so for every field of service that I served on, you guys right there were beside me. And I'll tell you, sometimes I had to draw on your strength because I didn't have enough for myself to get through the day. So thank you very much and please keep praying for your missionaries. Pray for them because I know sometimes you don't have a clue who we are and it sounds like we're serving in some wonderful place. But I'll tell you, sometimes that work is really hard. And the fact that we know that you guys lift us up means that we are never alone, that God and you guys are always standing with us side to side. So please keep your missionaries in your prayers. And thank you for allowing me to have been one of those missionaries all those years ago um, for, for that many years. Um, I grew up in South Carolina, which is not very far from here, down in Lancaster. Uh, my folks both worked in a cotton mill. My dad um, never graduated high school, got a GED. My mother never graduated until I'd already been in college for two years, and then she went back to high school. But I was enrolled in the cradle roll when I was three days old in a Southern Baptist church. And my folks raised me in a Christian home, and I had the support of loving uh, uh, a loving church and Sunday school teachers. And you know what my Sunday school teachers always told us? 
that you can do anything God calls you to do. And I was dumb enough to believe it. I hope that you are teaching your children the same thing, that whatever God calls them to do, they can do it if God has called them to do it. And so I felt called to go in the ministry, actually before I ever graduated from high school. I went to college at Winthrop in Rock Hill. Um, I'll tell you how long ago that was. They were still all women when I started there. So I'm that old. <laughs> uh, I am that old. And so after I graduated from college, I went to Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I will tell you, be honest, it was the first time I'd ever been away from home because my college was only 30 minutes from home. And even though I stayed at the college, I went home every weekend because I was pianist and organist and very active in my home church. So I spent more nights at home than I did on a college campus. So when I went to Southern Seminary, it was my first time to ever be away from home. And I will tell you, I have never experienced homesickness like I did that very first time. And so after about two weeks at seminary, I called my mom and dad. Back then, you know, you had to have long-distance calls, which cost an arm and a leg to call somebody. And I called them, and my mom, being who she is, she says, we paid for the first semester. You have to at least stay to December. My dad says, you just pack up that car, baby, and come on home. <laughs> you don't have to stay up there. You do not have to stay. But I did stay through the first semester, and of course then I stayed on and I eventually graduated. After I graduated, um, I was very honest uh, with the home mission board because I knew that God was calling me to be a missionary. So I sent letters to them while I was in seminary, and I told them, I said, God is calling me to be a missionary. And I got this lovely letter back, and it said, Are you married? Is your husband a pastor? And I wrote them back. Now, you remember, we're doing letters at this point. There are no emails, you know. So it takes a little while to get this done. And so they emailed back and said, are you married and is your husband a pastor? And they said in that same letter, we don't appoint, if you, you didn't mention a husband, we don't appoint single women except the Christian social ministries. That's where we had these social centers in major cities. And God never called me to be a social missionary. So I wrote them back and said, no, I was single. And God was calling me to move to New England. I wanted to move up there because I felt like that's where God wanted me to go and serve was New England. I don't know why I'd never been to New England. I just read everything I could find about our missionaries there. And I knew that God had called me to go there. Well, um, the Home Mission Board turned me down flat, and uh, I applied for a bunch of positions, uh, but none of them ever came through. I don't know why I didn't get hired, but I didn't. Um, mostly I was looking for children and youth because I couldn't find a place on the mission field. So my, I had worked as a summer missionary in South Carolina for the Baptist State Convention. The director of missions was one of my resumes, one of the people that, you know, would was listed on my resume made for a reference and he came up to the seminary in June I did not come home because I didn't have a job and so I stayed on up there he came up in June for a J term and he said so what are you going to do and I said I don't know I'm waiting on God to tell me what to do because he told me that I was supposed to be a missionary but evidently he's not telling anybody else that 
That's what he wants me to do. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I, at some point, I'm going to have to come home because my parents are going to quit paying for me to be here when I'm not going to school. And so he said, okay, well, come on back to South Carolina. Come home, and I will hire you in Columbia. And I said, so what are you going to hire me to do? He said, well, give me time to get home and figure that out. <laughs> so he went home, and he thought about it, and uh, I went on home, and he called me, and he said, um, the Home Mission Board has set up a new program called Mission Service Corps. It's for volunteers. And I'm thinking, uh, I need a little bit of income because I've been living off my folks all these years, and I probably ought to find a job that pays me something. Um, and he said, that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you. I'm going to pay you $500 a month. Now, this was in 1978. And I was too dumb to know that you couldn't live off $500 a month. But, you know, it was money. So there you go. So I moved and I said, okay, so what am I going to do? And he said, they've got this new program and we're going to see, we're going to send you out there to do backyard Bible clubs, day camps, adult Bible studies, youth Bible studies, and we're going to see if you can plant a church. Now, I went to seminary before there were church planting classes in any of our seminaries. I mean, Rick Warren had not even moved to California, okay? So that's how long ago. This was in 1978. And I said, I don't know how to plant a church. I've never been in a church plant. And the only thing I knew about church planting was this half gets mad at this half, and one of y'all goes out and starts a new church. Okay, that's what I knew. So I said, so how am I supposed to do this? He said, we just want you to go into the communities and start Bible studies, do activities with the youth, with the children, to get adults to come and be a part of these Bible studies that you're going to start. Once we get enough Bible studies started in a particular area, community, then we will launch that into a church. And I said, am I supposed to launch that into a church? And he said, no, we'll bring in a guy to do after you do all the preliminary steps. Well, that was the worst thing in the world somebody ever could have told me because they're telling me I can't carry it through. So I moved to Columbia. I started all these backyard Bible clubs with children. I did VBS. I went to multi-housing complexes, apartment complexes. I went to trailer parks. I got adult and youth. We did, I used students from University of South Carolina to do soccer clinics and football clinics and baseball clinics. Um, BSU there was very active, so all those students came and helped me. None of them were professional, but didn't matter because we were teaching kids who had no clue how to do most of these things. They were, you know, children that were coming to these camps. So I got all these started. I started a bunch of adult Bible studies, and I discovered why God did not give me a church position when I graduated from seminary because I was supposed to be in church planting. I loved every minute of it. Oh, man, just being out there and, and working with these youth or working with adults. I had adults who had never studied the Bible, never had an opportunity, or never wanted to study the Bible. I had youth that had, had never studied the Bible. They'd never had Bibles in their homes. And, man, what an incredible feeling for someone to say, I can't believe somebody loves me this much. Are you sure you've got this right? 
And I said, I'm absolutely certain that no matter who you are, that God loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he sent his son to die on a cross for you because he loved you that much. So just seeing these new people come to know Christ. I mean, I grew up in an old Southern Baptist church kind of like you guys. I mean, we would see new people come maybe once a year, and it was probably because a family came into the neighborhood from another church and, and joined our church. But we had not done a whole lot to do outreach for the lost in our community. Um, and so I had never experienced much of that at all growing up. And it, this just, oh man, it felt so right what God had called me to do. And I said, okay, God, I'm willing to do this no matter where it takes me, no matter what I have to do in order to do it. So now that I've got a little bit of experience under my belt, I write the Home Mission Board again. Back in the day, it was Home Mission Board. Now it's, of course, the North American Mission Board. I send them another letter. And this time, I picked a lady on their staff to send it to. And I sent her a letter, and I told her, I said, God is calling me to be a missionary. And he's calling me to be a missionary up in New England. And you guys, I grew up in the actines and GAs. Well, GAs, we didn't really have actines at the time. But I said, and all of my Sunday school teachers and all of my GA leaders told me that if God is calling me to do something, I better say yes. Now, I was raised in a church that told me that. And now you're telling me that because I don't have a husband, I can't go and serve as a missionary? That's not right. And if our people knew that, they'd be very upset with y'all. They would. Well, evidently I made somewhat of an impression, but I got turned down again. Because all they had was social ministry positions. And I, God was not calling me. It's a great ministry, but that's not what God called me to do. So I stayed in South Carolina for 18 months, planting, helping to get these churches started. Did all the legwork and, and got the Bible study started. And then I let a, a pastor come in because they were ready to move on at that point. And, and I wanted to go and start another one. So I did let the guys come in and take it to the Constitution part of it. And I began praying earnestly about going to New England. And so I sent my first letter to New England, and I told them that God had called me to be a missionary, and that he had called me to be a missionary up there in New England. Um, I got a letter back, and he did not say no. <laughs> what he said was, we don't have any money to pay anybody that comes here. He said, we only have 66 Southern Baptist churches in six states. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, and I left Connecticut, Connecticut, those six states were one Southern Baptist convention, whereas, you know, North Carolina's the whole state of North Carolina, South Carolina's the whole state of South Carolina. But their six states made one convention, and there were only 66 Southern Baptist churches up there. He said, most of our, parent, uh, our pastors are part-time, and not a single church has a second staff member. So he said, we would love for you to come and work with us, but we can't pay you. So I sent a letter back and I told him, I said, God has called me to do this and I, I, you have told me that I can come, so I'm not going to worry about the money. I do have an undergraduate degree in teaching, uh, elementary school, so I will come and get a teaching job and then I can help you guys do whatever needs to be done up there and serve as a, a part-time missionary doing what, what I believe God has called me to do. 
And so he told me, he said, well, I have managed to scrounge up from the home mission board uh, as a volunteer for you to be a volunteer, not an appointed missionary. He said, I've managed to scrounge up $1,000 a month. So that's what we can pay you is $1,000 a month. Well, I talked to my mom and dad about it, and they had helped support me in South Carolina somewhat. Uh, and my mom said, well, it's probably going to cost a whole lot more to live up there. And they said, but if this is what you want to go do, go. Now, I didn't know that in the back of their heads, they're both thinking, she just barely made two weeks for seminary. She's going to get up to New England and call want to come home, and we're going to tell her this time she can. So they didn't even, nobody was paying for my stuff to be moved. My dad was going to put it on the back of his pickup truck and bring it up to New England. They wouldn't even bring it when I went. They said, we'll come up in a couple of weeks and bring your stuff. So they were expecting me to come right back home. But I tell you guys, when I crossed that interstate, when I crossed the bridge coming out of New York City, which was the way I went the first time because I didn't know there were better routes. So I went through the heart of New York City. After I got on the other side, I crossed the bridge going from New York into Connecticut. And I just had to pull over on the side of the road because I just felt like, I'm here, Lord, and this is where you want me to be. I just felt such peace. And I will tell you, I never experienced one minute of homesickness, and I lived there for 11 years. Never once. Because that's what God does when he takes you somewhere you're supposed to be. He makes it feel like home for you. Now, I stayed up there for 11 years. Um, I never taught school. Um, after I'd been up there for a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half, my boss wrote the home mission board and he said, y'all may as well appoint her. She's not going away. You may as well appoint her. So the home mission board sent me a letter and said, you are now officially appointed as a North, uh, home mission board missionary to serve in church planting in New England. So I was the first woman to ever hold that role through the home mission board, North American mission board. Um, there had been other women that had served, but they had been widowed on the field and the home mission board let them stay in the areas where their husbands had been serving. Uh, most of those had been church planters, but I was the first single woman that the board had ever appointed to be in church planting ministry, and that was my call. And that was in 1980 um, when, well, no, it was in 81 when I was appointed uh, because I'd served there. I went up in 1979, and I served for almost two years before the board appointed me. Um, and so since then, you guys have been paying my salary. I served there for 11 years. Uh, then I left and I came back Atlanta. Uh, the home mission board wanted me to come back and start the church planning program that had been successful for us in New England. Basically, the way you start a church is the same way I did it in South Carolina the first year that I was out of seminary. You go into a community and you meet the people. You do backyard Bible clubs and day camps and vacation Bible school so you can meet, so you can meet the adults, their parents. And then as you meet the adults, even back then they would come and hang on the fringes when we would do a children's club. And they would listen to what I was teaching their children. I started adult Bible studies, youth Bible studies. Again, I used the clinics for uh, different sports clinics um, in order to reach a lot of the, the youth and the, the children. 
and we would put together Bible studies. And after I would get that Bible study to where we had enough people in it, we usually shoot for about 25 adults in a Bible study or multiple Bible studies in that community before we will then move into a church. With the children of 25 adults, that gives us about 40 people, sometimes a little more depending on how large their family was. So we would start a church with about 25 adults. We met in movie theaters. We met in Shriners Lodges. We met in the Elks Club. We had to be out by 11.30 because they opened the bar in the Elks Club at, at, at 12 noon. So we had to be out. We started them in skating rinks. We started them at movie theaters. We started them in any building we could find to rent. And... Um, uh, we started lots and lots and lots of churches in the 11 years I was there. But fortunately, I had a guy on staff with me. Um, he was the language church planter. I was the Anglo church planter. And so he was planting churches in all these different languages that live. We have a large Haitian population and a large Ukrainian population that was in New England back in the day. And so he was planting churches in those. Uh, we had a few African-American churches that were also, but all of our Haitian churches, of course, were black. So we, we were a very diverse convention, even before diversity you know, came much to the south only because we were planting churches in these communities and they were responding. So we planted churches exactly the same way I had in South Carolina. Um, as I said, I moved to the board uh, because Rick Warren had gone out to California and had planted his church and they wanted someone to work with new seminary graduates because I had been a, a su successful graduate who went and planted churches with no previous experience. Doesn't take much experience when you're doing evangelism, you know, when you're talking to people. I didn't really consider it much training, but I'd grown up where I was taught evangelism. And that's what we learned in our GAs and, and at our church in Sunday school and, and throughout the, my church years. Uh, we did some evangelism, but I was trained by the best, you know, the people that took me out with them and to do those kind of things. So they wanted me to come to the board and work with new seminary graduates uh, and help them find a place to plant a church and to work with them on training them what to do when they got to the field. So I moved to the board. I, I should tell you that I loved it because I followed God's call, but I hated every minute of it. I did. I did follow God's call, and I didn't fuss at God while I was there, but I prayed most days for him to set me free and let me go back to the field. Because I'm a field missionary, my heart is in church planting, and I want to be out there doing those Bible studies and those day camps and seeing people for the first time come to the understanding, the light that goes on in their eyes when they realize, oh my gosh, somebody loves me, whether nobody else in the whole world. They don't care about my color. They don't care about my culture. But she's telling me, that God loves me no matter what. And, and that's where I wanted to be instead of in an office building training other people to do it. I, I, I you know, wasn't who I was. But I needed to go there because God taught me a lot of things while I was there. Um, so I knew that it was in his plan and that's where I went. 
Um, for almost five years, I prayed for God to take me back to the field. Uh, New England had filled my position, but that guy didn't make it, and he had already left. So I called New England, and I told him, I said, I want to come home. I want to come home. Can I have my job back? And they told me, yes, you can have your job back. And I said, okay, but I'm going to have to pray first to make sure that it's okay with God that it come back. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and begged and begged and begged. God did not let me go back to New England. Um, he brought me to the last place in the world I ever expected to go to, and that was North Carolina. So I was building a retirement home over at Lake Lure for when I got old and gray <laughs> to move into because I've always, my heart's always been in the North Carolina mountains. So I was building a house over there, and I was still at the board praying, and God told me, said, I want you to go to North Carolina. And I thought, Lord, they don't need me there. They got so many churches. They don't need me to go to North Carolina. He said, I need you to go to North Carolina. Whether they think they need you or not, this is where I want you to go. So I picked up the phone and I called North Carolina. Fortunately, I would provided the guy who was in charge of church planning in North Carolina. I had provided him with seminary students for the last five years while I was working at the board for, to come to North Carolina and plant new churches. And so he said, are you serious? God wants you to come here. And I said, yes. He said, well, you know that we can't pay you what the board pays you. And I said, I don't care as long as I can live at my house and I can have enough for groceries and I don't really care about anything else as long as you can take care of that. He said, we can take care of that. So he said, you're going to have to come up here for an interview. So I came up to North Carolina to carry for an interview, and they hired me on the spot with one caveat. They said, you cannot live at Lake Lure. The convention offices are in Cary, so you're going to have to move to Cary. And I said, I don't want to work in an office. I want to work out in the field and help you plant churches in the field. And they said, we need you to come to the office. That's where we need you. That's where we need your expertise. And I told him, I said, guys, I really don't want to. I, that's not what God's called me to do. Um, I could have stayed at the board and done that. But I said, God wants me to come here. And so we got to figure out some way. So they went back to the drawing board and they told me that I could live in my house at Lake Lure for one year. And then I had to agree to move to Cary. Um, and work out of that office. So I agreed, just right off the bat. And he said, you're not going to argue with me? And I said, no, but I will tell you right now, God is never going to make me move to Cary because he called me to be out in the field. And I believe that. So uh, I, I, was, <laughs> I was sharing that before the service started. When I got over to Western North Carolina, I first off went and bought me a King James Bible because I did not have one except my Owen from when I grew up. And I started visiting a Southern Baptist church over there every single Sunday, just telling them I was from the Baptist State Convention, and I just wanted them to know that we care about them over at the convention offices. And so I was here to worship with them, not to speak, not to do anything, just to worship with them and meet their people. And I told them that I had come to North Carolina to plant new churches. Well, you know, that kind of scares pastors up front because they're thinking, okay, if she plants a church next door to mine, all the people I'm trying to reach and my people are going to go there because it's new. But that was not why I was visiting and not why I was called to plant churches. And so um, back in the day, all these pastors from out here in the West, 
started sending letters. Again, we're not up to emails yet. Sending letters to the Baptist Convention saying this, this lady showed up at our service and she says she's an employee. We looked up and she is listed as an employee on the Baptist State Convention. And I want you to know we have never had a visit from anybody in the State Convention office. She's our first person that's ever showed up at our church. Well, the North Carolina Baptist Convention figured out this might be a pretty good thing for them to leave me out in the West. There are always ways, you know, there are always ways. So I never moved, I never moved to Cary. Um, I served the North Carolina Baptist Convention for 27 and a half years, uh, living all of it at Lake Lure. Of course, I will tell you what really I lived in was my car <laughs> because I did have to travel. I had everything west of Greensboro all the way to Tennessee line, the Georgia line, and up to the Virginia line for planting new churches. Um, Michael Moore was one of the first African Americans I ever planted over here in Shelby, and he's now planted his second one with us. He has brought us at least 20 to 25 more guys that either he raised up or he knew he's brought them to Southern Baptist. Y'all have a number of Southern Baptist churches in this association as well as all across the United, all across the state of North Carolina. So I, I tell you my story because I, I want you to understand there's still a place for new churches. And I want to tell you why we plant new churches. There are three different reasons why we plant new churches. The first reason in North Carolina why we plant new churches is because we've got a population moving between 14 and 15 million people and at least half of that population, it's about 52%, claim no affiliation with any church. So you got to think about it. When you walk into Walmart or a restaurant, um, every other person you meet does not know Jesus Christ. Every other person. Now, you know, that's a lot of lost people. That's a lot of lost people. Over seven and a half million no affiliation, none. And then, if we're going to be honest as Baptists, you got to know that most of the people that say they are churched, at least half of those are not churched. They come on Easter and Christmas and that's it. You know as well as I do, y'all have got church members that haven't been here in years, but they're still on your church roll. Um, because they just are not committed to being a part of a fellowship and they're not committed to serving Jesus Christ. So at least half of those who claim affiliation, not just in Baptist, but every denomination across the state, at least half of those are not active in their faith. So that's the main two reasons why. Then the, then the third reason is because we've got all these people who have moved to our state from other countries, lots of other countries. Um, I started my first Arabic church they came um, from Beirut in, uh, let's see, this would have been maybe early 2000. Um, I had a couple um, that contacted the Baptist Convention. Baptist Convention called me and said, you need to go over to Charlotte and, and meet with this guy. And we're just going to tell you he's Arabic and he's from Beirut. So I go and I sit down with he and his wife. They have three daughters. Um, they moved here about six or eight months before they contacted the state convention. And 
he sits down with me and I said, so how do you know Southern Baptists? Why did you call us? Not that I'm complaining, but why did you call us over some other denomination? He said, I was saved in a Baptist church. I said, where were you saved? He said, Beirut, Lebanon. And so he proceeded to tell me this story that two of our IMB missionaries served in Beirut. They were IMB, our, home, our foreign mission board, served in Beirut. I worked in New England with their daughter, who was the Baptist chaplain at Yale University for years and years and years. And his, that couple of missionaries in Beirut had met her parents and his parents, two separate families, and they were a part of that Baptist church in Lebanon. So this couple grew up in a Southern Baptist church in, in Lebanon. And I asked him, I said, so what did your worship look like? He said, it really looked like the churches here in Charlotte looked like. <laughs> you know, back in the day, we just planted what we knew and, you know, that's what we knew was what we left behind. So, so they grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And they have moved. Now, he was a very wealthy man in Lebanon, um, owned a, a recycling center and trash, you know, where you bring your trash and all that kind of stuff to him. And he had a chain of those all across uh, Beirut. But because they wanted to come to the U.S., this was a time when we were skeptical, now this is, this is in early 2000, we were still skeptical about Arabs moving to our country. And so we would not allow them, I learned this then, we would not allow them to bring great sums of money with them because they could be terrorists, okay? Even back then, we still thought along those lines. So the State Department would only allow them to bring so much money with them, even though they had been vetted by the State Department and everybody else that has to vet, uh, uh, that has to vet people that come from some countries, okay, still. So they did not have much income, and they were all living in an apartment, but we were able, he, he told me, he said, so we're in an apartment complex where there are a number of Arabs living here. Some of them are from Lebanon. Some of them are not. But he said, we want to start a church. And I said, well, we've really never started an Arabic church. I'm not sure that we've got any materials in Arabic. And he said, that's okay. I brought all my materials from my church over in Beirut. So he said, you just tell us we're good to go. I told them, you're good to go. Go ahead. They started our first Arabic, and since then, there have been four other Arabic churches that are across the state that came out of that one. So we start churches not just for people that look like us, but we start churches for language groups that have moved to North Carolina. We've got a number over in Asheville of Ukrainian churches. One of them meets in the association, or did. I think they've now got their own building, but meets in the association office in Asheville. Um, we've got every kind of, I, I, before I retired, I did a study on how many languages. We have 347 different languages that are spoken in our schools in North Carolina. 347. 
That's how we measure how many different countries are represented. They do it by the elementary school and how many languages are represented in that school. So we've got all of these language groups. I wish I could tell you that we've planted a church in every one of them, but we haven't. Because what it really takes is someone that either was raised in that country or came home as serving as a missionary over there or someone that has immigrated here. It really takes someone who speaks that language to reach those people because everybody wants to go to church where their heart language, that's the heart language, is what we call the language you were born with. Everybody wants to go to a church where their language is spoken in that church. So that's another reason why we plant churches in North Carolina. And then the last reason why we plant churches is because everybody doesn't look like us. You know, like I say, I grew up in a church that looks exactly like this. We have, even have the two side aisles, no center aisle in our church. And we, every church I know, welcomes anybody that comes into that church. And I would say you guys would be the same thing. As a matter of fact, I don't, didn't even realize when I came in, but everybody that was outside spoke to me, and I had a number of people speak to me inside before I ever told them that I was a speaker for the day. I always like to do that because I want to see if you're a friendly church before I ever let anybody know why I'm there. And so I was spoke to by a number of people. Everybody basically that was in here spoke to me as, as I came in. And our churches, you and every other church, are welcoming of anybody who will come and worship. But I'll be honest with you, we've got people that would not feel comfortable coming into your church. So I've got guys that are hardcore bikers. And they wear their leathers and they're tattooed from their head to their toes. And yet... I've got biker churches that are all over North Carolina. At last count, I think we've got like 37 biker churches that were started by bikers, and it's basically a biker population. Not because they're not welcome in our churches, but because they feel more comfortable worshiping with people that think just like they do. And then another one of my groups is cowboy churches. Now, you know, most cowboys are members of Southern, those that are, we have a lot of cowboys who are members of Southern Baptist churches. Um, and they, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart from anybody else in the congregation. But once um, uh, one of our pastors, um, he decided that we needed a church that would reach cowboys. And I, so they called me to go meet with Jeff, and I went and met with Jeff. He pastored a church, Southern Baptist Church, over outside of Concord. And I said, so why do you want to plant a church just for cowboys? I said, don't they go to your church and other churches? He said, yes, they do. But you know what? Here's the deal. Most uh, horse shows, rodeos, and competitions for equestrian folks, they're always on the weekend. They're always on the weekends because that's when people are not working at their regular jobs. So he said, my folks don't get to be in worship with us because they're always gone. And I don't want to discourage them because this is many of them. This is their income. Their life's work is their farms with horses and cows and 
you know, livestock everywhere. He said, this is their, this is their income. This is their life's work. And so I can't fuss at them for not being in church when they've got to go to these places to keep their name before the people, their farms before the people. So he said, I want to start a church that worships on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. And I, he said, I want to do it in a, a cowboy venue, a, a, an arena. Well, you know, I grew up around horses, so I knew about arenas. And I said, these arenas, though, are all outside. He said, yes, they are outside. <laughs> he said, but most of them have some kind of barn facility attached to it. And he said, I want to plant a church. Well, I think right now in North Carolina alone, we've got over 50 cowboy churches. And so to go to these horse arenas or these barns, and I'll tell you, most of them don't have running plumbing or Running water or plumbing. And so you've got porta potties on the property. Anybody that's willing to go to church and use a porta potty, they are evidently there because they want to be there. They're not there for any other reason. And so you see these guys, a lot of times they bring their horses and they ride the flag in and they ride the Christian flag in and they baptize in a horse trough, which is how we got started on baptizing in horse troughs. Uh, because back in the day when we were planting churches and they're renting buildings, most of them can't do a baptism unless they call your church and say, would you let us use your baptistry because we don't have a place to baptize our people. And so once they discovered that the cowboy churches were baptizing in water troughs, there was a run at Tractor Supply on water troughs for every new church. So I have seen more people baptized in horse troughs than I've seen being baptized in a baptistry. Of course, you got to remember, I work with church plants, and that's where I go to church, or with church plants. But you see, in North Carolina, we are a very diverse population. Um, we've got lots of people that have moved here from other states. We've got our own cultures, the, the biker culture. We've got the cowboy culture. Um, Michael and I talked a few years back. He wanted to start a hip-hop church where the music would be just strictly hip-hop. And I told him, I said, well, now you would have to be the lead on that because I don't know anything about hip-hop music or anything else. Well, we attempted it. It really didn't get off the ground. So that was one of ours that didn't make it. I also had a young man from Lincolnton that called me, and he said, my father and I rented a building. It's an old skating rink. And he said, we want to plant a church in it. And I said, I'm not sure why you would plant a church in a skating rink, so you're going to have to talk to me some more about that. So Seth said, come over here and sit down and talk to us. So I drove over to Lincolnton, met with him. And what I had discovered that Seth, who had been a U.S. 2 missionary and was now, uh, I'm sorry, he was going to be a U.S. 2 missionary, but he had the time while he was at North Greenville College before he went to his U.S. 2 mission field. He, had, he and his dad had rented this skating rink, and they had built skateboard ramps in it. And uh, no skating, no roller skating. It was all skateboard ramps. And so he opened up on Tuesday night for the younger kids to come and Thursday night for the older kids to come. And if you came, you could skateboard for 50 cents for the two and a half hours it was open. But in the middle of that, everything shuts down and you sit down on the floor 
and there's a Bible study. And so what was happening, he told me, he said, I'm getting kids that are being saved at these at these Bible studies that I'm doing. And he said, they're coming and joining our church. This was Halls Grove Baptist Church, was the Baptist church that he was a member of. And he said, they're joining it, but they don't necessarily feel like they fit in. So he said, we want to plant a church in this. So I met with the pastor at Halls Grove, and I met with Seth and his dad some more. And I said, okay, let's do it. So he started a, a church that meets on uh, Monday evening at the skateboard facility. What had happened was, as he was reaching these kids and youth that were coming, their parent, they would go home to their folks and tell them what Seth was teaching, and they all wanted to come up there and see what he was teaching their kids. You know, y'all, those of you who are parents, you know, you want to know what somebody's teaching your kids. You want to know what that looks like. So uh, they were coming, so we had to put chairs in. Uh, so, that, so we built a balcony up around the skateboard ramps down here, built a, uh, a balcony that went all the way around, and the parents would sit up there and the kids would sit on the floor. We had numerous baptisms that came out of that skateboard church. It was our very first skateboard church in North Carolina. Uh, Seth, later on, uh, did go as US2. Uh, and then the International Mission Board called him, and they said, we want you to go to Athens, Greece. And he said, why Athens, Greece? And they said, it has the world's largest skateboard park. The world's largest. And they said, you know how to reach these people. You know how to reach these kids. So we want to send you to Athens. So he went over to Athens and stayed three years and got churches planted outside of that skate park all over. Didn't, never met in the skate park for the church, but Bible studies pretty much every day of the week. So he planted that. So you see, there are people that are everywhere that look different from us, that sound different from us, and that function different from us. And so that's why we plant churches. We don't plant them to come and take people out of your church. As a matter of fact, my church planters are told that if they get visitors from a local church, they are supposed to say to them, we are glad you are here today, but we really don't want you as a member. We would like for you to go back to the church you came from. We're planting this church for people who are not churched. And so we have sent more Christians away than you can possibly imagine. Um, because not that we don't want people to come, but we don't want to empty your church building and move y'all down here to a rental place just because it's a little bit different. You know, we want you to stay in your church and do what you can to make your church a church that can reach lost people. Um, I want to read you a couple of verses, and it's the same verses that you got you listened to earlier. Um, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of age. Guys, our churches were created. Doesn't matter how old a church you are. Or, or how long you've been in this community. What matters is how you touch the lives of the people that are around you. Um, you know, how well do you know your neighbors? 
Talk to your neighbors. Find out, you know, what their spiritual state is. Um, people that you meet in places, not necessarily turning around and talk to the person behind you in the line at Walmart, but if you're a, a teacher or working in the office or any of those places where there are other people, you can start out just by talking to people and asking them, is there anything I can pray for you? That's how we always start off. Do you have any needs? And some people will say, well, I don't really believe in God, so I don't really believe in prayer. And all you've got to say to them is, you know, that's okay that you don't believe. I believe. And I believe that God answers prayers. So if you've got anything I can lift up, please let me know that. And so that's kind of how we start. And we build those relationships. We still plant churches today the same way we did then. It's by building relationships with our youth in the community, with our children in the community, with the adults in the community. Um, I understand you've got a, a youth and children's director. You know, don't discount what your youth can do in reaching the community that's out there. Help them understand how they can be a witness at school. You know, it's been all over the news about the young lady that committed suicide at 14 years old. And I'm thinking, that poor child didn't feel like she had any friends that she could talk to. So help your youth understand that when they see anything going on at the school, bullying or, or people just being ugly, you know, take a step forward and befriend that person. You may be keeping them alive by doing that. But help your youth understand how they can be a, a witness, not, not preaching to the people that are in their school, but how they can be a strong witness by being who they are and watching for those areas where they can help another student. And, and where you work, watching that and, and seeing the people in there and building those relationships. Um, you've got people in your neighborhood. You know, invite them into your home for a meal. And if you feel comfortable doing that, of course, I know we're post-COVID age, but but invite people into your home and share with them why you wanted to do that. You just wanted to, you know, open up your home for them. There are things that we can do as Christians to make a difference in the world we live in. Go ye therefore into all the world and make a difference. Carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to be flaming fanatics standing on a street corner with your Bible. I'm just telling you that God always goes before you. And if you will ask him every morning when you get up, would you put someone in my path today that I need to share who you are with and how you comfort me? So there are people out there just waiting for someone to tell them that God loves them. There are people in North Carolina just waiting for that, the same as they are everywhere else. So just be aware, let your awareness be you know, God, how can I best serve you today? What can I do? And who will you bring into my life that needs you and that needs me to help you understand, help them understand who you are? Thank you so much for letting me be with you. I, I know I ran over. I get a little carried away. Um, so I do tend to run a little long. But thank you. Again, guys, my ministry, y'all were a part of it. Y'all were a part of it every day. I couldn't have done it without you. Um, you did pay me a livable wage after a while up in New England, but I could have never done it without you guys. 
Um, I could have never served on the foreign, on the on the New England field. I couldn't have even served in Atlanta where I was surrounded by Christians without knowing that you guys were there with me. And, and the same thing for North Carolina. I served here for 28 years, um, almost 28 years, before I retired. And you guys have been with me all the way. Um, I knew I was never alone because there were Southern Baptists always there. I can't stress the importance of that to you. So lift up your missionaries. Remember them in prayer because we feel that when we're out there on the field. We feel that. We know. And I know that's been a primary thing with WMU. Um, and um, I'm kind of saddened by, you know, uh, WMU and not being necessarily a part of the Baptist State Convention. I actually still work at GA camp all summer long. I serve in South Carolina, um, and I run the canteen and run the, the store, and um, I'm on staff also for the staff members there. So um, I do that now that I've retired. That's my, my retirement <laughs> service is, is doing that. But um, and, and WMU and, and their organizations are very dear to my heart. I'm glad that y'all have started yours back up. And if you're not a part of it, you need to see how you can fit in and find out other ladies who are also available and see how they can fit in. Um, it's an excellent place to serve. And I can tell you that 90, well, not so much now, but back when I moved to New England and all across the country, somebody did a study of how many of our missionaries came from our RAs and GAs, and it was about 90% of the missionaries that were on the field across the country came, were raised up in Baptist churches with RAs and GAs. So that's our missions organizations, and they're very important. So find out where you can fit into that. Again, thank you for allowing me to be here, and I guess I'm going to close this out. So if you would bow with me in prayer, I would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Father, I ask that you would lift this church up, that you would lighten the heart of each and every person who sits here, and that, Father, you would also lay on their hearts someone that they can touch with your love, someone that needs you that they may already know. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would help them as they try to find that person that's out there. And, Lord, just be with each and every one of us as we wake up in the morning and, and know that this is a new day and a, a chance to honor you and a chance to serve you, Father. And I lift up the lost people of North Carolina. I ask that you continue to give them hope and let them know that there is a God. And if we can be that messenger for them that leads them to you, Father, we just consider that another way that we serve. So, Father, we thank you for the day. We ask that you would be with us throughout this coming week and that you would provide opportunities for us to touch the lives of people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. And thank you for loving us so much that you did do that and that Jesus willingly took our place Thank you, Father. Amen.